0: Hello, Falava. You're listening to Pacific Ways from RNZ Pacific. Olo inwa o susan masui sweet Coming up.
1: I'd like to become a minister if possible to get some of the work done.
0: Niwe anyway, gears up for its selections this weekend. Also, seven prisoners are on the run in PNG. And later on. Eyes can deteriorate quite quickly,
2: and this is a condition that's not quite reversible.
0: We take a look at what's causing high rates of vision impairment in the Pacific. 1,167 Nguyen voters will get the chance to elect a new parliament this weekend. They will choose from the 17 candidates lining up for the common roll seats, while six of the 14 village seats have already returned unopposed. One of those already back is the incumbent's premier, Dalton Tsangilangi in Alofi South. Don Wiseman reports there's a call for an overhaul of the electoral system to better reflect modern demands and the country's small population but first he heard from a number of the aspiring candidates.
3: Former Wellington Mayor, New Zealand MP and diplomat Mark Blumsky has thrown his hat in the ring again for the New A parliamentary election. Mr Blumsky's lived on the island for 13 years after a spell as New Zealand's High Commissioner at New A. He now runs a vegetable-growing operation and a retail outlet there. He stood unsuccessfully in 2020, but he still feels with his diverse background he has something to offer.
4: My New Zealand connection I think is very helpful, especially with uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and with the New Zealand Government. I sort of know a little bit about how they work. I'm a very strong business focus and I think that's important, that that, that voice goes into the debate in the House. And, uh, and I just, my general oral experiences with the Mayoralty, with Parliament in New Zealand and so on, I think it will add to the strength of the mix.
3: New A's Finance Minister Crossley Tatui who's also contesting the common seats, is hoping the current government gets another chance to implement its manifesto after being stymied by the pandemic over the past three years. The government of Dalton Dungalangi came to power just weeks after the virus arrived. Mr Tatui says COVID-19 delayed their planned reforms. We did not have... Uh
1: quality time to actually introduce our manifesto as, as a new government. And a lot of focus was taken away by our effort to manage COVID-19 uh, pandemic, the economic shocks that came with it, and also we understand now the inflation pressures we are facing.
3: A veteran politician in UA has cast away plans to retire and is standing again. Terry Coe is finance minister in the distant past, but in more recent years has been a thorn in the side of various governments was ready to step down but was persuaded to try and stay.
1: People have asked me to stay on, but the other thing is I see myself that I'd like to become a minister if possible to get some of the work done. We're lagging in the work. They're present ministers. They've been very slow in acting to the people's needs. And I thought, well, if I get and become a minister, maybe I can push things along.
3: Terry Coe says education, health and the roading system all appear to be running down at the moment also wants to see an end to the five-day pay for four days' work that has existed in the Niue public service since the Tangalangi years. Esther Parvihi is the head of news at the island's broadcaster. She told me about what she sees as inadequacies in the electoral system that served the country for the past 50-plus years. Ms Parvihi began by looking at what the new government might look like.
5: Well... I think there isn't much anticipation for change per se. They're looking at the Tangilangi government and, and perhaps giving them another, another term. The last three years was really their first term. So I think it's sort of like, not so much an expectation, but there's that understanding that, okay, they, they've had the first three years. Maybe it's time to give them another three years to form their government and go back and govern. But the whole situation on the five incumbents going back into to the next parliament and one new member uncontested, that is an outcome of a 1966 electoral system that isn't responsive to the needs of the 21st century, basically. If you have a family that has held on to a seat for 50 years now, First it was the father, and now it's the son, and that seat has never been contested. Then, of course, the the new member uh, of the smallest constituency, or fewer than 10, I think they have six electors in that constituency. It, it was just the one person nominated, and, and that person is, is uh, the new member of Parliament.
3: It's a remarkable situation, isn't it? I know in previous elections there have been I think the most is two that were uncontested. But now here we go with six of the 20 in Parliament. It's astounding.
5: And this is something that I've been struggling to try and get an academic perspective about this electoral system that we have. And the six common role seats that we, we have, it is not mandatory for somebody to vote all six. So they can vote up to six. So the issue that we have as well is the low representation of uh, the candidates, the successful candidates. For example, Richard Heeper, who topped the polls in 2020, with 440 votes. That only accounted for 39% of the electorate, mm-hmm. and that's because people aren't using all the six votes on the ballot paper. Some are voting one, two, but definitely not six, and that can be seen from the, from the outcome, from the results.
3: That's an education issue, isn't it?
5: Yes, and the interesting thing is, the first thing when I spoke with the chief electoral officer was that when when he, he, he spoke about how to vote, he said that the most important thing is that people need to know if there is a village election, they will have to vote one candidate. So they have to leave only one name. And for the common role ballot, they can leave six or fewer. So it's basically something that's coming out of the electoral office that you can vote six or fewer names on the common roll ballot rather than telling people to use your vote. I've I've had candidates come in for half an hour with me on radio, and a couple of the candidates have actually encouraged people to please use your six votes. Meanwhile, you have the electoral officials saying it's their right if they don't want to use their six votes. But then that's reflected in the poor... Not even 50% of the electorate are voting for the top six candidates in the common roll. I'm kind of struggling how to have this conversation and get people to fully engage and understand that it's not a good reflection on our democracy if only 39% or fewer than 40% vote for the common role.
0: That was Esther Pavihi, the head of news at Niwe Broadcasting, ending that report from Don Wiseman. Papua New Guinea's Correctional Services Commissioner says it's unfortunate 16 prisoners were killed trying to escape West New Britain's Lucky Amata high-security compound on Sunday. 24 prisoners tried to escape, 16 were shot dead, one is in hospital and seven are still on the run. Seven of the 24 were not yet convicted of an offence but were waiting in remand. Stephen Pokani says corrective services failed doing their job securing the prisoners. He speaks with Caleb Fotheringham.
1: What we know is that 24 of them managed to escape all out of the prison main uh, facility. And unfortunately, 16 of them were were shot and they are now deceased. One is critically um, at the hospital, seven are still on the run. Out of the uh, 24, 18 of them are convicted high-risk prisoners, while six of them are prisoners on remand.
6: And on remand, you mean they haven't actually been convicted yet?
1: No, not yet convicted, but they are kept on remand while attending to their national court
6: hearing. Why do you think that they would try to escape, especially for those prisoners who are on remand?
1: I cannot give an accurate response to that. It's to do with their waiting time, and that is uh, here, it's quite difficult to get all the information on time. The average time spent in prison as a remandee sometimes goes up to even eight years. For them, I do not know, but I would think they would have been in prison for maybe two, two, two years or more.
6: Right, so eight years is sometimes how long people have to wait on remand in prison for.
1: Yes, it's true with the court hearing. It's not the kind of way cases are expedited and then sometimes delays like that. Can add to uh, frustrations, and it comes down to us in the correctional service. We have our duty to continue to look after them as best as we can, and we allow the courts to deal with their own, you know, independent hearing of uh, cases of which uh, remand prisoners. So, I think for us, we uh, failed our job in just making sure that all our prisoners are secured.
6: The corrective services who shot the prisoners, did they need to shoot them? Or was there any other way that they could have, I don't uh, know?
1: It's, it's a quite difficult uh, question to answer. But I'll, I'll answer it in the way I see it as a Papua New Indian in that particular province where lawlessness is completely out of hand. We had number of prisoners who escaped uh, in October uh, 2022, and that's about 26 of them we only recaptured five, 21 are still on the run. And that province, Western Britain province, we have more like, criminals taking over business houses and innocent people. And, and so those are some of the risks that we consider. In this country, when you call to a prisoner to come to a halt, to surrender, we don't have this kind of good response from prisoners. So the usual protocol that we do is give them warnings, and then after that, it's really unfortunate to lose not only our prisoners. uh, They uh, come from a family. They come from uh, an ethnic group. We are a communal society, so those are some of the things that I'm troubled with, uh, how to respond to uh, what we are now faced with.
6: You said before in October prisoners escaped the prison. Is this quite common?
1: It is. It is. We've got about 20 uh, smaller prisons around the country. Prisoners uh, have the tendency to try and plan an escape from the prisons. Uh, Again, it comes down to the liberty that we have. People want to always be free and do whatever they want to do, and going to a prison is something that is completely foreign to us. So I think that's the kind of struggle we are all faced with, especially our prisoners. And they had the tendency to escape when their wives walk away from them, or they lost close relative, would be a father or mother or through death or, or very ill or this These are some of the trigger points that uh, would push the prisoners to escape.
6: We got sent a video of a person who claimed that he was shot. he was one of the prisoners, and he said that they had already surrendered. Have you heard about this rumor?
1: Uh, I have heard about it. I have seen the video, and I know the source of who took that video as well, too. What I can do is just sit down with an injured prisoner and for him to give us his story. And then the normal investigations that I'm heading, we'll also look at the officer's input as well. It was not only CS, but police as well, so we'll have to look at it and then get an objective report from this if they give us their correct version of what actually happened.
6: Right, so at this stage, you are not dismissing his claim? What I can say is
1: I cannot ascertain whether he's telling the truth or not. I need to have an independent uh, verification of that as well.
0: The video obtained by RNZ Pacific was of a prisoner who allegedly tried to escape and claimed he was shot after surrendering along with six others who were all killed. Eye care specialists working in the region are preparing for a potential surge in diabetic retinopathy cases running parallel to the region's worsening non-communicable disease crisis. The condition is a complication of diabetes where blood vessels in the retina become irreversibly damaged and if left untreated leads to deterioration of vision and ultimately blindness. According to the Fred Hollows Foundation New Zealand, it's already among the leading causes of visual impairments in the Pacific, overloading and already stretched eye care services. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with the Chief Executive of the Foundation, Dr Audrey Almoa, as the organisation marked the milestone of training over 350 Pacific eye care specialists.
2: So yes, with Fred Hollows Foundation, um, globally it's really celebrating, um, of course, Uh, annually we do this the birthday of Fred Hollows uh, who is really the founder of of this organization an incredible man who did some amazing work who started out doing some amazing work 30 years ago particularly working with indigenous communities and improving um, the the challenges for many of them around avoidable blindness so each year we try to celebrate that and this year in particular for us we've really come to a number of milestones. We've been, as an organisation, been working in the Pacific just over 20 years now, working with our Pacific governments and our Pacific eye care partners, and our primary role really is training the eye care workforce. And when I say that, I mean... You know, training eye, eye surgeons, eye doctors and uh, nurses uh, and community workers in the area of, of eye health. And um, we're delighted, of course, that after 20 years of training, we've trained nearly 350 Pacific eye care specialists in the region. And we haven't done it on our own. We've worked with fantastic partners such as Fiji National University, uh, the Divine Wood University in Papua New Guinea, and of course the University of Papua New Guinea itself, uh, which have been significant uh, training and education partners for us. So, ophthalmologists, eye care nurses, eye care technicians are really important to increasing access to quality eye care for people, um, and this has really been where our, our main investment has been.
4: Some really great progress being made there. For our for our listeners, um, what are what are the numbers, and what are the issues still? affecting eye care in the Pacific? What are the big issues on the health side of things?
2: Well, the, the most uh, difficult challenges, particularly with, with our communities and uh, the issues of avoidable blindness, um, one is, is cataracts, obviously, and this is something that, that happens to many of our communities and populations over the age of 50. Um, as part of the aging process, we, we have a number of uh, large numbers in the Pacific with cataracts. Of course, a refraction, which is really uh, you know about the glasses that you wear and making sure you've got the you know opt- the best optical um, lenses for, for the kind of care uh, eye care condition that you have. But the thing that's concerning me most these days is um, in the Pacific. As you know, we have quite a large um, you know a growing uh, challenge of, of non communicable diseases, and in particular diabetes. And um, with diabetes, of course. Um, we have emerging issues around what we call diabetic retinopathy, which is a condition of the eyes that uh, once we once diabetes often for many people is is not well controlled um, uh, eyes can deteriorate quite quickly, and this is a condition that's not quite reversible and so in our region in particular uh, you know with this status of of diabetes we we are concerned that diabetic retinopathy will become a major burden. Of disease
4: for many of our uh, our communities now in terms of the the gains being made with with the training give us give us a picture of where where these doctors are placed what communities they're going or what kind of an impact they're making having um this number of trained eye specialists but also looking forward maybe even um the ongoing work to increase those numbers as well
2: well you know the, the the unique aspect of our work is working with governments and ministries of health, um, and and many of them uh, over the past 20 years have not really had a dedicated workforce team in eye health, uh, and this is where Fred Hollows Foundation New Zealand has particularly been able to contribute. And that is working with these governments to take the doctors and to train them. Uh, and we work with the Fiji National University, of course to do this um, this work particularly of op- ophthalmology. And subsequently, all the doctors and nurses that we have trained come from the Pacific. so this is a real pacific based workforce. Once they've completed the training, they go back into their government systems and they help establish. Um care services, so both doctors and nurses are able then to design services that really meet you know the, the needs of that particular country. And the role that we continue to play is is supporting those doctors and nurses in their work, often through um, you know specialized innovation technology, uh, i care, ongoing eye care workforce training, and, you know, it's, it's an area that um, has not been well attended to in the, in the Pacific, um, as you will appreciate many of our Pacific governments are dealing with, you know, large issues around uh, non-communicable diseases, cancers, infectious diseases. And often eye health is, is not seen as a priority. And so the work that we do is really supporting governments to deal with an area that is not well developed. in in many of these health systems. And I have to say, it's not just the Fred Hollis Foundation. There are many eye care partners in the region. But it it provides a a real area of support for many of the governments who often can't afford to develop these sorts of services, but are now beginning to recognise that if they don't pay attention to eye health, and in particular to issues around avoidable blindness, so their system may become overwhelmed. And so a lot of the work over the next couple of years for this organisation is really helping prepare some of those government systems for this area of growth, um, unfortunately, in, in eye care.
4: Doctor, thank you so much for your time, Vinaka Thank you for being with us and sharing your important oh, work you. with us.
2: Thank you. Naka.
4: Naka. mode
0: that's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programmes or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the amazing team here at RNZ Pacific, to fast soe